to the Uproom Frisco podcast. To learn more about your Frisco, please visit uproomfrisco.com. My friend, the word that Lord has put in my heart today, I would like to share with you this morning. It's from Colossians chapter 1. We're going to focus today on teachings of Paul that Paul has given to the church of Colossians. The background setting of the letter of Colossians is so that Apostle Paul did a school at Tyrannus for two years. And when he did this school, there were a lot of students who learned under his anointing. One of such students was Ephephras. So after Paul has finished his school in Athens, Ephephras went from there to Asia Minor to go and minister the word of God. As he went to the city of Colossae, he began to share the gospel of grace in that land. And as he began to share the gospel of grace, many people heard his message. They gave their life to Christ and slowly a church was formed there. Now the timeline that the biblical scholars say was after the ascension of Jesus Christ, maybe about 20 to 30 years of time that this church was pioneered. Now initially the church started doing great, you know. Many, many people started coming to the faith and they began to hold on and perceive Jesus Christ. They didn't know. They were from Gentiles. They had no idea about the law of Moses. They had no idea about Abraham. They had no idea about what God has said in books of Torah. And they had no idea about the law. But the, all they were aware of is Jesus Christ, the person of Jesus Christ. And to him, they put their faith in. And they were saved and born again and spirit filled and church was doing very good. But in due season, as the time began to pass, about in 20 to 30 years, something happened. A lot of Jews who had left Judaism and have come to Jesus Christ. But now the problem with them was that they had accepted Jesus Christ, but they were also making this marriage between law and grace. So what they did was they, they adulterated the gospel and they made it almost compulsory for people that, okay, you have now become Christian, but in order to really please God and maintain your Christian life, you need to do this, 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 this. You need to keep the festivals of Israel that God gave to them. What you need to do is get circumcised. What you need to do is, you know, you need to keep new moons. You have to understand the times and the seasons of Israel and every ordinances that Israel was having, they wanted the church to have it. It's very interesting to understand, my friend, that, that when this gospel began to get adulterated in the first 30 years of the ascension of Jesus Christ, imagine what happened to the gospel in 2,000 years. If in first 30 years, false teachings began to fill the church, what about 2,000 years? Today, when I look up in social media, today, when I hear a lot of people speak, and I hear so much of false teaching coming into the church. And what false teachings do is they keep you arrested in you. And you become a prisoner of your own thinking and your own believing. And what does it do is it hinders your potential in Jesus Christ. So that what Lord wants to do through each one of you, he's not able to do it because of that false teaching. It is very, very powerful. Enemy knows that if he can make us believe on the lies that he has to speak, then he can hinder us from doing what God wants us to do. That was the scenario of the church of Colossae. 
Now when Epaphras, when he heard the problems that was happening in his church, when he saw it, what Epaphras did was he ran to his spiritual father, Paul, who was in Rome during those times. He was imprisoned for the sake of gospel. So Epaphras goes to Paul and Epaphras says to Paul, Paul, this is what is happening in the church. You know, church responded greatly to the message of gospel. They believed, they, they got saved, they got filled with Holy Spirit. But now there are these false teachings which are filling up the church. And people are confused about their salvation. People are confused about, about if they are pleasing God or no. They're confused about their faith in Christ. And I don't know what to do. When, when Epaphras brought this to Paul, in response to Epaphras' plea, Paul writes the letter to the Colossians. So you got the background setting. Why Colossians was written? It was written to the believers who were confused about their perception about the Lord and about themselves. So he writes to them this letter. Now I want to take you through a journey in chapter 1 and chapter 2 today and help you see certain things the way Paul saw it. Amen. So chapter 1, verse number 9, I want to draw your attention to. If we can, we are going to read from Passion Translation. But chapter 1, verse number 9, if we could have it on screen. Thank you so much. All right. Can we all read it together, by the way? Let's do it together. Go. One, two, three. Since we first heard about you, we have kept you always in our prayers. That you would receive the perfect knowledge of God's pleasure over your lives. Making you reservoirs of every kind of wisdom and spiritual understanding. Now hold on, wait a minute. Anybody is having another translation apart from passion translation? You will find that those translations don't use the word God's pleasure. They use that you may know God's will concerning your life. Right? Am I right? So when you read that scripture passage in NKJV or NIV or any other translation that you may know the perfect will of God, often in our mind we translate that word knowing the will of God. That means what does God want me to do? It's about doing. So when we think about that, okay, uh, you know so many people come to me and say, Pastor, would you pray for me? I want to know the will of God. In other words, what are they asking me? They're asking me, Pastor, please pray and let me know what does God want me to do? But Passion Translation is a little different. He's not saying what God wants you to do. He's saying that you may understand the perfect knowledge of God's pleasure over your life. That's completely different. So I thought either this guy is confused or others are confused. So I thought it would be good to do a word study there. So I took up that word, will of God. And in Greek language, the word will is written as thalima. When you go deeper into the word thalima, which is a Greek word, what does it mean is intense desire and pleasure over someone. What does it mean? Intense desire and pleasure over someone. 
When I discovered that, that in Greek, it means in which Paul wrote this letter, the language that Paul is saying, Paul is saying, hey, Colossians, when you are confused about your life, whether you are acceptable to the Lord or no, whether you are walking in righteousness or no, no one thing, this is our prayer, that God will open your eyes of understanding that you may know how much your heavenly father desires for you and how much your heavenly father takes pleasure in you. Do you know one thing? Much of our problems will be solved if we just begin to know how my God sees me. You know, because we try to make up to his expectation, but you know, it's actually the other way around. When my son was born in the hospital, I went to see him. He was just a teeny bitty baby lying beside his mother. I picked him up. And I didn't look at him and say, first call me daddy, then I will pay your bill. <laughs> Is any father here who did that? <laughs> Is there any mother who picked up that baby and said, first call me mommy, then I will feed you? Is there anyone? If we being wicked know how to do this even before he confesses us as a father or a mother and we know it doesn't matter what you think, what matters is I tell the whole world this is my son. Isn't it? This is what the father did when Jesus came into the Jordan River for baptism. He hasn't performed any miracle. He hasn't preached. He hasn't healed. He hasn't done anything significant so far and yet father looks at him and there is a word from heaven, my well-beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Why? Because God's will is talima. It's not about what you're supposed to do. It's about what he thinks about you. So what Paul is saying, hey, church of Colossians, I want you to know it's not about what you have to do for God to please him. It is about how pleasurable thoughts God has concerning you that your eyes will be made open to understand that. Because enemy has blinded us. We come to the Lord and yet our eyes are blinded because we always want to please. And these folks came from a religious background. Now oh, I, in India, being an Indian, understand religion. We are flooded with religions. Do you know in India, there are more than 33 million gods and goddesses. Like everything is God. Our cow is holy. Let me tell you, my friend, you know, India, for generations, for generations, thousands of years have been worshipping anything. Whether it is tree, whether it is mountain, whether it is sun, they have been worshipping creation. If not, now new philosophies are coming. We just worship air because God is in air. We breathe the oxygen and we are alive, so we worship. Now, religious people always come with confusing theology. Their job is to come and deviate our attention from the Father to us. And somehow to create this tension in our spirit that we need to qualify for his return. And so church's struggle is not so much on the day when we hear the gospel, we give our life to Jesus Christ. But after that to maintain our Christian life, we struggle so much. You know, on the day when a person comes to the church for the first time, 
You know, we are not ashamed to tell him, hey, the worst sinner is welcome in the arms of Lord Jesus Christ. No matter what you have done, it will be forgiven by the blood of the Lamb and you are a new creation. We have no problem in introducing him to the door. But once he enters into that door, then for him to maintain his life in the door, we put so much of pressure on him. And that's what false teaching was doing on the church of Colossians. A bunch of do's and don'ts have filtered and adulterated the gospel in their days. My friend, let me tell you, this false teaching is not our generation problem. It has always been there because Satan understands the power of truth. He knows if you and I know the truth, the truth will set us free and our life will never be the same again. It's incredible to know. So Paul is saying that my prayer for you is that you would know the thalima of God in your life. What is the talima? It's the intense desire God has towards you. It's the pleasure God takes in you. That we need to know that for certainty. That when I wake up from the in, in the morning, I, without a shadow of a doubt, I need to know God is well pleased in me. But brother, do you know, last night I did a horrible mistake. But brother, do you know that my life was not like, like I don't think I please God. So many people come to the worship set and yet they live in guilt. So many people come to prayer house and yet their problem is their eyes never turn away from themselves into the one who loves them unconditionally. If his love is unconditional, what does that simply mean? That simply means I need to understand this and let me tell you with all humility, hey my friend, don't ever think that you are the remote control to God's emotions. That today if I obey, God is going to be good. And if I disobey, somehow his channel is changed and he's become bad. Hello. Do you know what Bible talks about us? In Jeremiah chapter 29 verse 11, we all know it's very famous scripture. Jeremiah 29 verse number 11, it says, For I know the thoughts I have concerning you. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future, right? When I study that word there in Jeremiah chapter 29, he says, the plans that I have for you are good plans. They are not evil. And not of evil, he says. What does that word evil, what, what, in Jeremiah it is written evil. When you do the root word study for that evil, he is not saying evil. He is saying, I am not like Ra. Now imagine Jeremiah is writing, his audience is Jewish people, right? What is Ra? Jeremiah is saying, hey, God is saying, I know the plans I have for you concerning your life. They are good plans. My plans are not like Ra. And that word in English got translated as evil. So when he is saying that my plans for you is not like Ra, I begin to understand, okay, what is Ra? You know, I discovered that Ra is an Egyptian god. And an Israeli or, or Jews who were captivated in Egypt, they had an understanding about Egyptian gods. Remember, they have been there for 400 plus years in a bondage and, and they know every god that Egyptians worship. Now, Ra is a god of Egypt and it's, Funny, because this God is called the God of sun. And this God is good in the morning, 
When the sun rises, he is very good. He blesses his people. But by the time when the sun sets, suddenly the nature of this God changes and the God who was good, a God of blessing, turns into a God of curse. That is what is the history of Ra. That is what is the mythology of Egyptian God. Now I want you to understand, God is talking to his people and is saying, hey, listen, my children, I have plans for your life to prosper you. Not like Ra, who is something else in the morning and changes his nature in the evening. I am not like Ra who will bless you in the daytime and curse you in the nighttime. I am God who change not. This is the message that Jeremiah is trying to get across. My friend, how many times we think that God's moods change because of our behavior here. Hey, do you know one thing that we can't alter the mood of God? He said that I am same yesterday, today and forever. He is God whose mood cannot be changed. Do you know one thing? God only has one mood and he is always in good mood. You say, no, I see God has been very upset during days of Noah. Who brought the flood? Hey, talk about what Jesus did on the cross. He changed the mood of God for eternity for me. Let me tell you, and I'll show you from the scripture what I am teaching. God is in good mood. Today is the day of, hello? It's not day of judgment. He is in a good mood. You know, many times we don't understand how God looks at us. Let me show you in the scripture what God is saying. If you open Isaiah chapter 62, verse 3 to 5, you will discover God is looking at his people and he's calling them his delight. He's not calling them his frustration. What is he calling them? His delight. Brother, can we go to Isaiah chapter 62, verse number 3? He's calling them his delight. You know why? Because his mood doesn't change. His commitment for his people doesn't change based on their rebellion, based on their life. Do you remember when Adam committed sin? God never told him, go hide yourself. Adam chose to hide himself from God. Now before Adam committed sin, God would come every day to meet him. Right? That day when Adam committed sin, did God knew that Adam committed sin before Adam could tell it? Huh? If he is all knowing, he knows it. Right? And you know, when God knew that Adam has committed sin, God should have decided not to go and meet him. But he didn't do that. He still came that very evening and his question was not what you have done. His first question was, where are you? Why? Because he has made up his mind to love you. And he's not going back on it. That's his decision. That's his commitment. That's what is longing in his heart. That's why he said to his people, I am not like Ra, who is good in the morning and evil in the evening. Fast forward it to the letter of James. James write to the church in chapter 1, verse number 17. He said, every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of light. 
with whom there is no turning of shadow. It's so beautiful. There is no turning of shadow with him. What does it mean? What does it mean that there is no turning of shadow? Now again, James is writing to Jews who understand the nature of Ra. What is the nature of Ra? He is good in the morning. He is evil in the night. So during our times, we have digital clock. But during the days when Bible was written, they had sundial. So they could say the time. When the sun goes from east to west, they could know from the shadow what is the timing. Right? What is James writing to the church? That we belong to a God with whom there is no turning of shadow. Meaning God doesn't change his places. He is constant. He is reliable. He is trustworthy. He is compassionate. He is loving. And he is not going to change his status. He is not, you know, when, when he says, oh, today I, I, I woke up from the wrong side of bed. That doesn't happen with my father. He knows every sin that you have committed in past. He knows every sin that you and I commit today. And he knows every sin that we will commit before we die. And yet said, with an everlasting love, I have loved you. My sin doesn't fizzle away his commitment for me. Then why does God hate sin so much? The answer is because it hardens my heart concerning him. My sin does not alter his heart for me, but my sin alters my heart for him. It shuts my, my heart. And I keep a distance from him. But look at what the Bible says. Come with me to Colossians chapter 1 again. And I want to show you verse number 21 and 22. Colossians chapter 1, verse number 21 and 22. And we're going to read it again in Passion Translation. Can I have it on screen, please? Thank you. Look at this. It's so beautiful. Let's all read it together again, please. Even though you were once distant from him, living in the shadows of your evil thoughts and action, he reconnected you back to himself. He released his supernatural peace to you through the sacrifice of his own body as the sin payment on your behalf so that you would dwell in his presence. And now there is nothing between you and Father God for he sees you as holy, flawless, and restored. If you don't understand that, you need English classes. Let me help you see something there. Even though you were once distant from him, what caused this distance? This distance was formed because we chose to live under the shadow of our evil thoughts and actions. Do you see, when we come to Christ, we have to learn that I'm a new creation and my mind needs to be renewed. One of the ways you have to renew your mind is fill the word of God in your mind concerning yourself. Now what does that demand is this. If you continuously continue to live under the shadow of your evil thoughts and your evil action, 
then what does it do? It creates a distance in your heart with the Father. Now listen, devil is absent. Stop blaming devil for everything, casting me out. We keep casting devil out when he's absent. He's saying, I'm not causing that distance in your heart. It's your thoughts. Guess what happens? Your thought says, I am unworthy for you. I'm not able to be with you. Hey, prodigal son left the house of the father. It was his thoughts that carried him away from his father. Then his thought brought him back. But you know what? With a distance. He said, I'm willing to be his servant. So I'm going to go to my father and say, keep me as your servant because I'm not worthy to be your son. What caused him to come to that resolution that I am not worthy to be called your son was his own evil thoughts and his own evil actions. When he came to father, the problem of prodigal son was he was too focused on his thinking and his feeling. He wasn't focused on what father feels. As a church, when we come to the Lord, we become born again child of God. But the problem is we continue to live under the shadow of our thinking and our feeling. One day Holy Spirit said to me, son, now you are born again. Stop believing everything you think and stop believing everything you feel. Look to your neighbor and say, hey, brother or sister, just look, look, look to your neighbor. He said, now since you are born again, you are a new creation. So please stop believing every thought that comes to your mind. Stop believing every feeling that comes to your heart. Listen, my friend. Our thoughts and feelings are the result of our upbringing. Our thoughts and feelings are the result of our upbringing. They are the result of our culture. They are the result of our education. They are the result of our experience. And in new creation, none of these things are required. Because the kingdom reality is far superior than the earthly experience. When Jesus was born, he came from heaven as a helpless babe. And we all know that he was born in a manger. But next day, he didn't go on complaining and carrying this bitterness against heavenly father saying, I am your son in whom you delight. You sent me to do your will. And yet you have not even given me an in to be delivered. If anybody had problem of rejection it should have been Jesus but he doesn't even bother to him about it many people come to me in counseling and say pastor you don't know what I have been through I said do you know what dead bodies go through what do dead bodies go through decay have you ever seen a dead body complain now isn't it truth about the word of God that the Bible says in Colossians that we died when Jesus died? Why are you keeping your old self alive? Because you're choosing to live under the shadow of your evil thoughts and your actions and it's creating a distance between the father and you. So many, many Christians come to the Lord, they get baptized, they get filled with Holy Spirit, but there is one problem. They always remain 
a mediocre Christian. They always, you know, they, they live in a, in a miserable state. You meet them and they are all surrounded with problems. You talk to them five minutes and you know what they will talk to you about? Oh, pastor, you don't know what I'm going through. The hell is loosed upon my family. This is the problem happening with me. This is where... And you talk to a person five minutes and you know, man, what he entertains in his mind. Do you know Bible says to, carnal, to be a carnal-minded person is enmity to God? Do you know that word carnal? Carnal doesn't mean sinful. Listen carefully. The word carnal does not mean sinful. The word carnal means being mindful of flesh more than God. Hello? And the Bible says, if I am carnally minded, I will lose everything that God has given to me because I am focused on the wrong thing. Now, Bible is saying very clear. Paul writes to Colossians. He said, hey, you're living under the shadow of your thinking and your feeling. So your problem is not what God is doing. Your problem is what you're entertaining in your life. Stop blaming false teaching. Start looking into your own self. What are you entertaining in your mind? When you come for prayer set and for half an hour you worship, for an hour you worship, for two hours you worship, it's fantastic. But when you go out from here, what do you retain in your mind? What are you meditating upon? What are you, what are you filling yourself with? If it is not about Christ consciousness, there is a problem. Listen, my friend. The Jews live under the consciousness of law. So in their mind, constantly every thought is governed by the law that God gave to Moses. They're programmed that way. When they're a child, they've been programmed that way to think law. So everything that a Jew does is in the, in the parameters of the law. Gentiles are wired differently. The Bible declares that Gentiles live by their conscience. Listen, Jews live under the law Gentiles live by their conscience. We, the redeemed of the Lord, do not live by law. We do not live by our conscience. We live in Christ. Amen. That's, right. That's the truth about us. In Christ, everything is different. My experience dissolves. My feelings dissolves. It doesn't matter what I think. It doesn't matter what I feel. What only matters is what Jesus thinks, what he feels. And if I can program myself, you know, many, many people said, uh, do you believe that, you know, your old nature is dead with Christ? Yes, I believe. And yet they keep it alive by thinking the evil thoughts all the time. By thinking their thoughts, we are not supposed to lean to our own understanding. The victorious Christian life is when you learn not to believe your thinking and your feelings. Most of us are arrested by our thinking and our feeling. We'll say, oh man, I didn't fast and pray. You know, I needed to fast and pray. You know, as if I'm going to emotionally blackmail God. <laughs> Sometimes I say, oh, I didn't give enough offering, so I get guilt. Everybody else gave. I didn't give. Hey, before the foundations of the world, he loved you and I. Even before you were born, forget about what you did. He loved you even before you came into being. 
Our doing doesn't compel him to love us. Our being compels him to love us. Because he loved us, therefore we reciprocate that love in loving him back. Come with me again to Colossians. I want to show you something that Paul uh, wrote to the church. It's so beautiful. Come with me to, um, to this verse number 21 and 22. God reconnected us. The Bible says that, can I have that verse again on screen please? Verse number 21 and 22. See, even though you were once distant from him, living in the shadow of your evil thoughts and actions, he reconnected you back to himself. Now think about it. What did God do? He reconnected you back to himself. Now listen carefully. Gospel has two parts to it. One part, get you out of sin. Second part, reconnect you to Christ. One part, get you out of the darkness. Another part, get you reconciled in the light. You understanding? Taking you or redeeming you out of the death. And second, is inserting you into the life of his son. So I was a wild olive. He plucked me out from there and put me into a right olive. That's what the scripture says. And he's saying, what did God do? Hey, church of Colossians, understand. And I would say, hey, upper room of Frisco, please know this is what the Lord is speaking to us. When Paul wrote to the church of Colossians, he also was writing to us. What did he say? He said, long enough we live under the Shadow of our evil thoughts and actions that has created distance in our heart for Jesus Christ, for God the Father. And now what has happened? God reconnected us back to himself. He released his supernatural peace to us through the sacrifice of his own body as a sin payment on our behalf. So that we may dwell in his presence. Now listen carefully. When God reconnected us to himself, he made something possible. What did he make possible? That we may dwell in his presence. There is a difference between visiting and there is a difference between dwelling. In Old Testament, even the high priest was allowed to visit the most holy place in the presence of God early once, but through the blood sacrifice of Jesus Christ, what God said, I have removed every qualification. The curtain has, the veil has been torn apart and all now I am inviting you to dwell in me. Do you see, he, from visiting visa, he has given us permanent residence. It's so beautiful by the blood of Jesus Christ. By reconnecting to his son Jesus Christ. Guess what happens? I dwell in the presence of God. Amen? Now tell me one thing. What does my evil thoughts and shadow do? This is what they do. They don't allow me to dwell in God. Because my dwelling experience in my mind is the result of my Christian conduct. Are you getting it? If I have lived holy enough, I feel closer to God. If I have not done this and I have done that, which is pleasing in the sight of the Lord, then you know what? God is willing to celebrate me. And so I have no shadow of a doubt that my prayers will be answered. Why? Because last whole month track was great. But if I've done something wrong. Suddenly my confidence in the Lord is shattered. How many of you know what I'm saying? Can you relate to it? 
What Paul is writing to the church of Colossians is, hey, God is not committed to you based on your actions and your behavior and your thoughts. So don't let God change his character according to your thinking. You change your thinking according to his character. That is called renewing of mind. And that is where the church struggles. Because we create a theology based on our thinking and our feelings. And God is saying, don't try to define me by your feeling and your thinking. He is the truth. Look at what he says. He gave us peace through the sacrifice of his own body. Listen, peace with God is not the result of holiness. Hello? And then there was silence, even in heaven. For long enough I thought, peace with God is the result of holiness. And then one day Holy Spirit opened my eyes and I said to his son, Holiness is not the root of peace with God. Peace with God is the root of holiness. I have mistaken the fruit for the root and have been struggling a lot why I live a miserable life. Religion teaches us your holiness is the root to be accepted by father. But relationship says to me, even if you don't call me father, you belong to me. Is the relationship that is stronger. I had mistaken. Relationship taught me. Hey. He reconciled to me. That is the root. And when he reconciled to me. No longer I live. Christ lives in me. And all I got to do is. Let go of my right. To my opinion. Let go of my right. To my thinking. Let go of my right. To my feeling. And just say. Daddy. What you say. I receive it. When I believe. The way Jesus believed. I will live. The way Jesus lived. My friend. I want to encourage everyone in this house tonight. If you have been struggling with intimacy with Father, you have been trying your best to become intimate with God, stop struggling. The sheep which was lost, no matter how she tried, she was caught up in the bushes and could not come back to the shepherd. But this shepherd who had 99 with him left for that one which was lost and came and found it. Amen. That's your and my savior. That's right. <laughs> I'm not scared of being lost. I know greater one will find me. So I choose intentionally when I wake up, daddy, my sin don't define me. My problems don't define me. My thinking don't define me. My feelings don't define me. I'm defined by your love. So pastor, are you saying that if I continue in sin, it's not a problem to God? Are you saying that I'm allowed to, con to continue to sin? I said, no, I didn't say that. Your evil thinking is telling you that.
What I'm trying to say is this. If you get reconciled with the Father, His nature will dominate your nature. What I'm trying to say is this, that if you get reconciled with the Father, your appetite for sin will be permanently lost. What I am trying to say is this, that when you begin to, to take your thinking and connect it with the thinking that Father has concerning you, when you begin to see yourself the way your Father sees you, what will happen? You know what will happen? You will never be able to enjoy sin again rest of your life. This is what I am saying. Because grace of God does not give you to commit license to commit sin. Grace of God teaches you how to say no to sin. And it's amazing. It's very easy to say no to the things you hate. Isn't it true? Hello? Is there any problem to say no to the things you hate? It naturally happens. You know what? The, the day you reconcile with the father... Sin is no longer your problem. Believe me, it's no longer your problem. Hey, pastor, your theology needs to be corrected. Do you know that John said in his letter, in 1 John, he said, if we say that we don't have sin, we are lying. I said, yeah, think about this. That John is saying, if we say we don't have sin, we are lying. But two verses later, that same John says, children, I write to you that you may not commit sin. Say, hey, you're saying you don't, you, if you say there is no sin in you, you're saying you're lying. And on two verses later, you're saying that I'm writing this to you that you may not commit sin. John, what's wrong with you? Either acknowledge sin in me or let me know that I'm not in the domain of sin. But between these two verses, there is a verse that talks about the blood of Jesus Christ. He says, if we say there is no sin in us, we lie. But then if we confess our sin, his blood is able to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Then my children, I write to you that you may not commit sin. But if anybody commits sin, know this, we have an advocate in heaven. Woohoo! John is saying sin is no longer your problem, buddy. You know, why do we struggle? Because we receive the gospel and we ask the forgiveness of sin and we are redeemed from the sin and curses and darkness, but we never get reconciled to the Father. And because we don't get reconciled to the Father, we don't break loose from the sin habits. It's like an extension board. Every one of us has seen an electrical extension board, right? An extension board, when it gets plugged in into the source, the same supply which is in the source comes on the extension board, correct? Now, what is what, what is Lord saying? The Bible says he reconnected us to himself. So his life flows in my life. Amen. That's the beauty of Christian life. That's the beauty of Christian life. You know, God doesn't want you and I to serve him. Listen carefully. God doesn't create you to serve him. God is saying, son, become one with me so that I can serve through you. 
God is not wanting me to serve him. God is saying, son, be one with me so much that I can serve through you. This is what the ministry looks like. When you look into this verse, the next half of the verse says, on your behalf, like he, he made a sin payment on your behalf. So listen, the payment of sin is done. Whether past, whether present or future. The payment of sin is you are mortgage free. Get that in your mind. Get that, that the payment of sin is done. Can you look to your neighbor and say, the payment of my sin is done. The payment of my sin is done. Who did it? God did it in his own body. This is what Paul is writing to the church of Colossians and saying, do you know one thing? Your payment is done, buddy. Stop behaving like a victim. Arise. Your payment is done. Imagine I had a banker, you know, to whom I owe a lot of money. Now, every time I see that banker, what do you think happens in my heart? I want to run away, not face him. But one day my good friend comes and he says, hey, I made all the payment for you. Now what happens? I don't run away from that banker anymore. We can go and sip a cup of coffee together. We can become buddies. Why? Because I am not indebted to him anymore. Listen, my friend, my payment for sin is done. Jesus has taken care of it. I am a free person. You know, it doesn't just stop there that God made a payment for sin, but the change happened here. It says, that payment of sin was done on my behalf so that I will dwell in his presence. Why did God give such a huge payment for you? So that you may not go to hell. No man, so that you and he can become one. The purpose of the blood sacrifice of Jesus was not just limited to getting you out of hell. It was to reconcile you to the Father. It was to make you one with the Father. Even before going to the cross, Jesus said, Father, as you and I are one, let them be one in us. So God's intention of sending his son to Jesus was more than saving me was more than healing me, was more than delivering me, was more than blessing me. It was about he and I becoming one. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. You know, that's why to writing to the church of Corinthians, Paul says, he who fellowships with the Lord becomes one spirit with God. Imagine, I always thought I have my spirit and then there is God's spirit. But Paul changed my theology when he said, hey buddy, if you fellowship with the Lord, you become one spirit with him. I don't have two spirit, my spirit and God's spirit. I just have one spirit, God's spirit. I am dead. Now how would life look different if you believe like that? Fear on the day of the judgment is permanently deleted. And this is what John says, in this love is perfected that we may have boldness on the day of his return. For as he is, so are we in this world. Amen. 1 John chapter 4 verse number 17. This is what scripture is saying, that when God reconnected me, see how beautiful he says, 
that we may dwell in his presence. And now, say when? What does now mean in America? Huh? It's not one day when Jesus returns. When I'll be out of this world. When sin will no longer be my problem. The Bible says now. It doesn't say at the coming of the Lord. But somehow false teaching have infiltrated and, and had programmed our mind in thinking that you know what, I can only be pure one day when Jesus comes because I will see him as he is and I'll be transformed like him. Only that day my last enemy will be gone and that's the day I will have victory over it. You can enjoy that theology rest of your life and still struggle with sin while you're here. But if you want to be free of that, believe what Paul is writing here. What is Paul saying here? That we may dwell in his presence and now there is nothing. Can you say this with me? Now there is nothing. Say as if it is now. Come on, declare it by faith in Jesus' name. Say now there is nothing between Father God and me. Because he sees me now speak it loud and clear. He sees me. When? When does he see me? Huh? How does he see you now? Holy, flawless, and restored. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. But listen carefully. This is how God sees you. But how do we see ourselves? unholy, with flaws, and with a lot of problems. Right? We don't see ourselves like this. But who sees us like this? Our God, who reconciled us to himself. So when I get reconciled, guess what happens? I need to know one thing. I need to stop believing what I think about myself, what I feel, which is based on my evil actions and my evil feelings and thoughts. And I just need to simply say, Lord, I believe what you say about me. I believe what you say about me. What is God seeing? He sees me holy, flawless, and restored. This is the root. When I begin to see what God sees about me, guess what happens? It changes the way I behave. I am thinking, if I behave, I will be holy. God is saying, no, no, no. First, I call you holy. Become reconciled to me. You become holy and your behavior will change. This morning, my friend, I want to encourage you with this truth of the word of God. This is the Lord whom we serve. He sees you holy. He sees you flawless. He sees you restored. It's time that you and I see ourselves like that. It's time that we believe that Jesus is going to do this for us. Amen? Amen? He has done it. One last verse I will show you and then we are going to pray together. I love this scripture passage. Can you open chapter 2? Colossians chapter 2 verse number 6. Colossians chapter 2 verse number 6. Let me show you something very powerful. Look at what the word says. 
in the same way you received Jesus, our Lord and Messiah by faith, continue your journey of faith, progressing further into your union with him. Hallelujah. How do I progress in my union with God is not by my changed behavior. It is by my faith in Jesus. How did you receive your salvation? By faith in Jesus. The moment you received, the moment you put your faith in the finished work of cross, everything that Jesus died for became applicable upon your life. And guess what he's saying? The way you received salvation, forgiveness of sin, is the same faith that will give you ability to be united with Father. You don't have to do anything else. If you could believe that Jesus forgives your sin, you should believe same Jesus reconnected you to the Father. And you are no longer you, but Christ lives in you. Father in Christ and Christ in me. This is my Christian life. Amen. Because when Jesus died, my old nature died. When Jesus rose up, my old nature did not rise up. I rose up in Christ. And that's a different lifestyle altogether. You know, Bible says we are a new creation. Old things are passed away. Everything has become new. You know, one of the truth about new creation is it does not have history. Anything that has history is not new. If it is a new creation, that simply means it has no history. No wonder God says he's faultless. He is holy. He is restored. Why? Because he is a new creation. All things are past. In Jesus' name, I want to encourage every believer here, friends. Let no false teaching rob you of the union with Jesus. Amen. Can we all stand together and pray? Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Take this one minute, lift up your hands and, be, and extend your gratitude to him. It's not by what I have done, it's by what he has done. And just be grateful to his love. In your own words, say, thank you for reconnecting to me. Thank you that I belong to you. Thank you that I'm accepted and celebrated. I thank you that you and I are one. And so from now on, no longer I live, but you live. I choose not to live under the shadow of my thinking and my feeling, but I choose to live under the shadow of Talima, God's delight and God's pleasure over my life. In the name of Jesus, I pray, Holy Spirit, the word that you have spoken through me this morning to this house will bear a thousandfold results in their life. That, oh God, there'll be freedom in every life, oh God, and that they would become unified with Christ the way God always wanted it to be. That our lives will never be the same again. In Jesus' mighty name, I pray. Amen. 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 Amen.